0: Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in his plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. Welcome again. I'm so glad that you're here with us. I want to read you a verse. It's Isaiah chapter 51, verse 1. Isaiah the prophet says this from the Lord's mouth. He says, listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Anybody seek the Lord here tonight? Is that why you're here? You're here to seek the Lord? He says this. He says, look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. He says, look to the rock, right? And what did Jesus say? He said that if you build your life upon my sayings, he said, then you will build your life upon the rock. And we serve the rock, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. That's right, and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I was thinking about this, is that if, if you are in a place and you are leaning on something in that place, and that place is shaken, and if what you are leaning on can be shaken, then you will shake with what is shaking. But if you are leaning on something that cannot be shaken, then you will not shake no matter what else is shaking, right? So where do we lean? We lean upon Jesus Christ, right? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I've got good news for you. If you know Jesus Christ here tonight, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, it tells us this. It says that our citizenship is in heaven, which means that we are already citizens. We are not aliens. We are not strangers or foreigners. We are citizens of heaven. And what that makes us then is ambassadors for heaven here on this earth. And as ambassadors, we are entitled to, and not just entitled to, but we are promised every resource that the government of our sending kingdom can provide for us, right? And he promises peace, he promises stability, he promises strength and light, he promises vision, he promises that he will give us the power to be the head and not the tail, to be leaders in a world and a light that's set on a hill in a place that can't be hid, amen? Amen. So this is the time for us to rise up and be the church. We're in his house tonight. We're in his word tonight. So I would ask you to please join me in 1 Samuel chapter 16 for our Bible study. If you need a Bible, just get the attention of one of the ushers, and they will make their way to you, and you can follow along with us in our study. It's quiet in here tonight. It's like eerily quiet. Can you guys make some noise? Thank you. Just... End the awkward silence of the moment for one for one second. You know, as we get into it. Thank you, Hunter. You know, a little enthusiasm. <laughs> okay, we are in First Samuel chapter sixteen. Let's uh, let's pray, and then I'm going to read the first three verses, and and uh, and and I got a message for you that I believe will encourage you tonight. So, Father, we just Come in this time, and we thank you, Lord, for, for who you are and for the fact that we serve such an awesome and powerful God. And you told us, Lord, that uh, known are of you are all your works from the foundation of the world, and, um, and that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we thank you, Jesus, that you are the rock upon which we stand. And so tonight, Lord, as we turn to you, we open your word, Lord, and we thank you, Father, that you have something to say to us, that your word is timeless and pure. And so, Lord, as we open up our hearts right now, we pray, Lord, that you would anoint us and fill us with your spirit, and that you'd whisper in our ears those things that we need to hear. Make us very attentive to you, Lord. Give us strength, Lord, to hear you and to serve you in hearing your word tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. It says this. It says, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing that I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? For if Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you, and say that I am come to sacrifice to the Lord, and call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do, and you shall anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. Wow. How did Saul get here? Over the past eight chapters or so, we have been studying the life of this man, Saul who was Israel's first official king God had sent Samuel to anoint Saul to be the first king and we followed his progression it happened very quickly he started off humble and he started off uh, in the spirit of God and he quickly descended to a place of being disqualified to now where God says "I, I don't even want him in that place anymore I regret even putting him there and the, the amazing thing about Saul to me is uh, really how much scripture is dedicated to laying out his story for us. I mean, he's given eight chapters that are, are really solely dedicated to him. And then the rest of 1 Samuel, he's kind of one of the main characters still. And that's a lot of text. Saul has more text than Abraham, more text than Isaac. He has more text than Jacob. He gets even more than Joseph. And, you know, when you think about some of these amazing characters in the Bible that speak to us so much, and yet you realize how much attention God gives to laying out Saul's story for us. And I'm really thankful for that because really the great value of Saul's testimony in the scripture is, is that God has given him to us to make us wise, okay? Uh, in, in more than one way. Not only do we, do we gain wisdom if we can learn and hear what God has to say, but he answers a couple of whys, questions why questions you know those things where we say why God you know and and so as we look at Saul and consider what's here God has two great questions that he answers for us through the life of Saul and here's one of them it's, and it's it's a it's a question that every one of you will relate to including myself and that is this God why does it take so long has anybody ever asked that question before? You've ever had something in your life that you're waiting for, or or you don't even know what it is, but you know there's something, and yet it seems like it's never going to come, it's taking forever to come, and your question is, why so long? You know, you're waiting on God to bring you a spouse or to bring you into your career or to fulfill a dream or whatever your thing is that God has put in your heart and you keep waiting for it and time keeps going by and it doesn't come and you just say, God, why is this taking so long? The other why that we get an answer to as we consider Saul and where he's come from is the answer to the question of God, why does it hurt so bad? Anybody have that ever, <laughs> you know, you think that God, you know, you like, you know, you you said peace, you said joy, you said, you know, an expected end and a future and a hope, but it seems like there's a lot of pain along the way and a lot of things are hurting. Why is this? Why are there difficulties and obstacles and conflicts and injuries and people sabotaging and there's setbacks? Why are all these things happening to me? If it's a life that you call blessed. And, and that's a question that we all have because it's real. That's what we go through. That's the reality. We have to wait and we have to suffer. Those are guarantees in the Christian life. And that's not a hopeless thing, but it does make us question. And we say, why, God, does this happen? Now, there are two universal pursuits that every human being has, and that includes the child of God. And that is that every single one of us has in us a pursuit of purpose. That is, we want to know why we are alive. We want to know why we are in the world. What is our role that we've been given by God to play in this planet? And we're driven on the inside to find out what that is. I want to know why I exist. The other thing that every single one of us is driven towards is that we want to enjoy our lives. There's nobody that says, I just want to live a miserable existence and and I just want to get through it and just rip the bandaid off and then let me die. Nobody says that. We want to go through our lives knowing what we're made for, operating within the calling of God for us. And we want to do that with a degree of stability, a, a degree of tranquility. We want... Peace, you know, so purpose and peace are two universal pursuits that every single one of us have. The issue is that it takes a very long time sometimes for us to find those two things our purpose and our peace and it never seems to come, or at least it seems very elusive. And the universal question is why? And here's the answer in a nutshell that that we're going to get, we're going to see in Saul. And that is this, is that if you get there right away, then you have the potential to become the kind of person that would kill the very people that got you there. Because that's what happened to Saul. Saul didn't have to wait and he didn't have to suffer. Saul was immediately granted the knowledge and the position of what that knowledge would be, what it was that he was called to do. He would be the king. And he did that without any preparation for that position whatsoever. There was none. He was just placed in that role automatic. And we see what that produced in him as he was completely unprepared for it and he self-destructed under the weight of it. And so the remaining question as we transition from Saul because we're going to kind of we're going to kind of wrap him up tonight and then we move on to King David and the question is this is what made Saul that kind of person, and what does that have to say to us concerning the experiences that God allows within our life? And there's really two things that made Saul that kind of person. And, and two, there's really two reasons why God does things with us the way that he does things. And here's what they are. First of all, is that he had role without relationship. That is, or you could say he had purpose, but he didn't have it connected to God's person. His purpose was rooted in his purpose and not in the person of God. Okay, Jesus said this, it's John chapter 15, verses four and five. Listen to what Jesus said. He says to us, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine no more can you except you abide in me. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. He says, without me, you can do nothing. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that if you want to thrive in your reason, that is your role or what it is that he made you for, then the way that happens is that you must be abiding or you must be rooted in him. In Philippians chapter 3, the apostle Paul kind of puts his own testimony on this concept when he explains to the church there in Philippi all of the things that were his credentials or the things that qualified him for position. And he he gives to them a list. He says, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Pharisee, and I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a leader of leaders. I had letters after my name. I had degrees, education. I was qualified. I had so much potential in terms of my position or my role. But then he says this. He says, but what things were gained to me, those things, he says, those I counted loss.'" for Christ. And he says, "Yea, I count all things as rubbish, as dung. He says this, that I might be found in him. In other words, I don't place my roots in my credentials, my role, or my purpose. That isn't my purpose. My purpose is not my purpose. My roots are in him and my purpose flows out of that. In the book of Ephesians, the apostle Paul prayed for Christians, for you and I, and his prayer for us is that we would be rooted and grounded in his love. He didn't pray that we'd be rooted and grounded in our role or the thing that God made us for or our calling. He says that you would be rooted and grounded in his love. That is, that what I'm drawing life from, my source and my strength My wisdom and my resources come from him. That's where it comes from. And that is how we are made. We are called to be in a relationship with God. And when we have a role or when we find our role or when we even fulfill our role, if we're not rooted in him, then we're in for trouble. Just like we see in the person of Saul. Because when you're rooted in your position, okay, here's what happens. Your position or your role determines your actions and your approval ratings. All right? So your position, what does it demand of you? Well, my position is I'm a mother. And so I'm going to serve being a mother. And I'm going to sink my roots into being a mother. And so now all of a sudden, you look to the role of being a mother to inform your actions and what you're supposed to do. Well, I'm supposed to do laundry. I'm supposed to cook food. I'm supposed to take care of these kids. I'm supposed to spank them every now and again. You know, and, and there's all these things that the role tells us that we're supposed to do and we're serving the role. It's the same if you're a business person or if you're a pastor or any anything that God calls, whatever it is, if you look to the role and you sink your roots into it, then the roots tell you what you have to do, okay? So you're always saying, what do I do next? What's the agenda? What's the list? What's the goal? Where's the graphs? What are the demands? And the results of that is that you will find yourself stressed. You'll find yourself frustrated. You'll find yourself in uh, feeling isolation and you'll find yourself not ever being good enough because your credibility will come from the metrics and the approval ratings of what your position says you're supposed to be. And what ends up happening is that you're not satisfied, you can't be sustained, and pretty soon you'll hate it because the pressure of your position will outweigh the privilege of what it is. And that's exactly what happened to Saul. Conversely, if you're rooted in his person, then what you do, what you contribute, what your role is, will be an outgrowth of what is being infused into your life from your roots that are stuck in him. So if you're planted in Jesus, then what Jesus made you to be, your identity, will be in sync with your role in what he's made you to be, and the outcome of your life will flow naturally and your fruit will be without effort. An apple seed does not have to aim at bearing apples. It only has to be what it is and stay planted where it's supposed to be planted. That's what Jesus meant when he said that I'm the vine and you're the branches. If you are rooted in me, then who you are will be discovered and what your life is intended to produce will happen by itself. And so we draw our life from him. My place and my role is in sync with my true identity and therefore I'm informed by what's in me. It's his person connected with my person and that will determine my actions and also my approval. My approval comes from what he's called me to, not what the position says I'm supposed to be. I love Jesus. When you look at Jesus, he was such an example of this. I mean, son of God, that's a pretty amazing position, right? Anybody here want that one? Son of God, you think you could handle that role? You know, what's demanded of you when you're the son of God? And yet Jesus fulfilled that role so amazingly with his roots set in the right place. He was in the city where there was a revival going on. There was people coming in droves by the thousands to hear what he had to say. And it says that Jesus rose up in the morning and he departed to a, an isolated, solitary place to seek the Father as was his custom. And the disciples finally found him. It, it kind of alludes in the text that they had been looking for him. And when they find him in the place, they say, oh, what are you doing? It's like 9 a.m. And the people have already gathered. Come on, we need to get into the city. And Jesus goes, No, because we're not going into the city today. We're going to go to another city where no one knows who I am. And they're like, don't you realize what this position demands of you? And Jesus said, I don't care what the position demands of me because I'm not serving the position. I'm serving who God called me to be right now today. And today I'm not going to that city. I'm going to this city. And Jesus always did that. His brothers came to him and they said, hey, no one that seeks to be known keeps themselves from a public opportunity like the one that's before you right now. And Jesus said, have fun, I'm staying here. And he would not give in to it. He was rooted in what God called him to. It was relationship, okay? Now listen, my role is to be a byproduct of my relationship. Saul had no relationship. He had a position, but he didn't know God. And therefore, everything that connected Saul to God was through someone else. Whether it was Samuel telling him what he should do, or whether it was a prophet telling him that the donkeys were found, or whether it was the priest who was wearing the ephod in that moment. He was always looking through someone else to God, but he had no connection to God in his own person. He had no relationship. And thus, he was a slave to his position, and he did not thrive in that position because it wasn't in him from God, and he wouldn't let go of it because he was addicted to the power, and ultimately, Saul became ruined. Now, for you and I, relationship is critical, okay, for two reasons. Number one is because it's what God wants. He did not create us to work. God did not create us because he wanted robots or mechanical machines that would do his bidding in his will. He saved us. He called us. He made us because he loves us. And his desire for us is to be an intimate, constant communion and relationship with him. That's what God wants from our lives. But then secondarily, relationship is how God works. He doesn't work From a distance, he works from the inside. He works internally. Therefore, my role is fulfilled through my relationship with him. And I want you to see how this is illustrated because it's exactly what Samuel demonstrates as he now is told by God to go to Bethlehem at the risk of his life if Saul finds out why he's going. Samuel illustrates what it means To have relationship with God or to let my relationship define or work out my role, my place. Watch this. First of all, understand this. Is that relationship is not, and you you can write this down if you're taking notes, is that relationship is not cordial, it's constant. Meaning it isn't just that, okay, well, I gave my life to Jesus I raised my hand, I said the sinner's prayer, I'm saved, I know I'm going to heaven, so therefore I have a relationship with God. That, yes, you do and you're saved, but that's not what it really means to have a relationship with God. To have a relationship with God means that there's an intimate, constant communion and fellowship that's going on with him. Remember what happened at the beginning of Saul's ministry? Remember, if you were there, God told Saul like four things that were going to happen. He said, you're going to do this, then you're going to do this, then you're going to do this, then you're going to do this. Remember how that worked out? It didn't work out. And that's what we want from God. A lot of times we're like, God, just you tell me the the four things you want me to do today, and I'll do those things, and we'll check in back here tomorrow morning. And God goes, no, 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 don't work like that. God says, I'm going to give you one thing, and then as you start doing that one thing, Then I'm going to lead you, and you're going to move on from there. Watch this. He says, how can I go? For if Saul hears it, he'll kill me. And so the Lord said, gave him one thing. He said, take a heifer and say, I am come to the sacrifice, and call Jesse to the sacrifice. Watch this. And I will show you what you shall do. And then you'll anoint to me him." Who my name? No, 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 Lord, no, no. Tell me now what I'm supposed to do when I get there. I don't want to wait till I get there. And God says it doesn't work like that. I'll explain it on the way. I'll unfold it as you go. That's the way I'm going to work in this whole thing. I think that most people, especially in the United States of America, are planners by nature. Are you a planner here? I mean, our nature—at least I can speak for myself—is that every morning I don't do this consciously, but subconsciously I create a script for the day. Like I know what Wednesdays look like and I have a script for Wednesdays. I know what time I get up. I know what happens at each successive minute that brings me all the way up through the end of this service. And it is scripted. I know it. And then what happens is I go through the day and I play my role in that script. Oftentimes, And there's nothing wrong with planning. Planning absolutely has its place. But sometimes planning can go too far. Sometimes people plan so much, they plan their outfits, their meals, their meetings, the conversations they're going to have in the meetings, the back and forth. They plan everything to the point where it's so scripted. Listen, if your meditation is on micromanaging how your day is orchestrated, it's possible that you might be leaving God out a little bit too much. Because I don't think that he designed us to be that way. But to live in relationship means to live by faith a little bit, and there's some risk in that. God, what if Saul kills me? And God says, you're going to have to trust me. I'm going to give you one step, move through this thing. Okay, God, what if I do this and the money doesn't come? God, what if I go to this meeting that I'm leading and I'm not fully prepared with all the answers? I don't want to look like an idiot. And the Lord says, you're going to have to trust me. I'm going to lead you when you come into that moment. I'm going to do it for you. God, what if I preach without notes? <laughs> I mean, Lord, really, you want me to leave? I don't know if I could do that. What if God were to show up in our lives in direct proportion to our level of dependence on him? What if he, because he knows it, right? Like, Lord, I'm not really using notes. (laughs) Yes, you are. You know, But what if he showed up in every area of our lives just according to the level that we trusted him? What would that look like? But to live by relationship is to live in constant communion with him. It also means to live by conversation. Watch this. So Samuel did, verse four, that which the Lord spoke. And he came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Comest thou peaceably? Why are you in Bethlehem? And he said, Peaceably I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and he called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab, he was the oldest, the firstborn, and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Now, just think about this for one moment. What if Samuel went and he was like, okay, God, I'm gonna do what you said and I'll check in with you when it's all over with. He already makes an assumption here thinking that he knows what God's will is in the situation. He says, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature because I have refused him for the Lord sees not as man sees for man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Now that's scary (laughs) to me because what that means is that God processed this guy's resume before he even submitted it. God was already looking on the inside of this man and it didn't matter to God what it looked like he was on the outside. Now that's exactly what happened with Saul. Remember Saul was head and shoulders above everyone else. He was valiant. He was mighty. He was impressive even to Saul or Samuel who came to anoint him. And now Samuel sees Eliab and he almost makes the same error. He says, oh, look at this guy. This is certainly the one that the Lord chose. And God said, I'm not interested in what he looks like on the outside, Because I've already assessed what's on the inside and he's not the man that's going to represent me rightly. He's not the one that I've prepared. Isn't it interesting, the conversation? It says that Samuel said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. And then it says, and God said, no. Do you see conversation going on there? It's prayer. It's intimate communion with God in the moment of the interaction. And here's what's amazing. Watch this. Verse 8. It says, then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this. And again, Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said unto Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are here all your children? And he said, Jesse says, well, there remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he keeps the sheep. I don't think you really are interested in him. He's out in the field. He's not the kind of guy that you would think, I don't think, well, he's out there. (laughs) And Samuel said unto Jesse, send and fetch him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. Do you know what is, is incredible about this? Is that if Samuel was not walking in relationship with God in this interaction, he would have made the wrong decision seven times. And I want you to just think about that for a minute, because I know right now you're saying, well, ooh, big deal. You know, this is First Samuel 16, and that's way back then. But what if it was your spouse? What if you had six choices before God brings the one, and you weren't listening, and you were looking at the outward appearance, and not considering what God sees on the inside and the future and what's to come? What if it was your career and you were making a choice about what you were going to do with the most fruitful and productive energetic years of your adult life? And you had six opportunities to pick something that seems like it might fit, that looks good on the outside, the payroll seems well, but you don't know that five years from now you're going to be so miserable and you're going to be stuck in a place where you can't go back and re-choose. Oh, conversation all of a sudden. Relationship becomes a little bit more valuable when it comes to making choices, making decisions. My goodness. To live in relationship means to live in conversation. Well, Samuel narrows things down to David and it says in verse 12 that he sent and he brought him in. And it says, now he was ruddy, and withal, he was of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, arise and anoint him for this is he. And Samuel took the horn of oil and he anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and he went to Ramah. Now here we have the narrowing down to David. Okay, we have Samuel working with God to figure out who it is that God has chosen. And I love this part because there is a whole lot of Holy Spirit going on here between Samuel and God that no one can see except us now because we're reading it from God's perspective historically. I mean, put yourself in Jesse's shoes for a minute. And here he sees, he sees Samuel, and Samuel's there, and Eliab comes. And he sees Samuel's eyes go wide when he sees Eliab. And then there's silence for a moment. And then he goes, No. He goes, let me see the next one. And then Shama comes, and he sees Shama, and he goes, look for a minute. And he goes, no, bring the next one. And Jesse's going, you know, this whole thing. But think about all of what's going on between Samuel and God in this moment that no one else can see. There are gifts of the Holy Spirit being operated, the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom. There is discernment happening as Samuel looks and as God gives him insight and helps him to see and hear things that can't be heard with human, human, uh, inclinations. There's hunch. That's a spiritual term. There's hunch going on in the thing when, when all of a sudden all seven of those that were at the sacrifice were called and God says no to all seven of them. And Samuel has no idea that there's another one. But there's a hunch. There's something inside. There's an unction that leads Samuel to just say to Jesse, is this everyone? Because I know God said Jesse's house. I know he said one of his sons. And you just made everyone here pass before me. But God isn't leading in any of these. Like, are there any more that are coming on here? It's amazing. There's some depth between Samuel and God that leads him to find David, the one whom God has chosen. And this is what I want you to understand concerning this whole idea of relationship, is that relationship doesn't happen in a minute. Do you realize that? Yeah, yes, it does. You you can have a connection, but you can't have the kind of depth that Samuel is showing here because you got saved on Monday, I'm sorry, Sunday, and then Monday morning you're baptized in the Holy Ghost, all right? There's a cultivation. There's experience that comes into play. There's trial and error. There are mistakes. There's a learning how to hear God's voice, learning how to follow his steps. There's seasons of being very close to God and long seasons of feeling very far from God, seasons of fatness, and seasons of dryness that you go through. And through all of that, as you walk with God in time, you begin to become very sensitive to his voice, to his leading, his will, and his desires. And so experience deepens relationship, and it takes time. And so if you're gonna thrive in your role and you're gonna do it by relationship, then you better understand that there's experience, time, and seasoning that goes into it, and it answers the question of why, God, is this taking so long? Because he's bringing you through things, teaching you how to hear him and walk with him and rely on him so that you're able to thrive and not falter when you get where you're going. And Saul knew none of that. He didn't have it. But it's important if you're gonna walk in God's purpose. If you want God's purpose and his call in your life, I ask you this question, how close are you getting to his person? You're not gonna find his purpose for you without knowing his person. And if you do, then you will be so much the wrong kind of person that you will kill the very people that helped you get where you were going. Because that's what happened to Saul. Why, I, 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 I laid down my life for my kids and now look at the way they're treating me. I helped that person get into that position and now they're gonna cut me and fire me and, and throw me to the side? I put that person in office and they're gonna represent this way? They're gonna, you see? All that Saul will be good for now is to be a tool to help to prepare David for the role that God has for him. And sometimes you can get yourself into that place. I want you to look at David now, okay? Because here's the second part of the question, all right? Here here is the other reason why Saul didn't make it. Not just because he had role without relationship, but listen, this is important. He also had elevation without preparation. He was elevated to the position without being adequately prepared for it. Do you see concerning David what happens here? There's a couple of things that I want you to notice. First of all, is that when Samuel pours the oil over David's head, there's no indication in the text that he tells him what it's for. He does not say to David, this is because you are going to be the next king of Israel that will replace King Saul. He allows David to discover it as he goes along the way and it will become clearer and come into focus as David goes along. David will have no idea. It will be Jonathan, the son of Saul, later on that will say to David first, like, don't you realize like, what God's doing in your life here? I know maybe you can't see it because you're too close to it, but you're gonna be the next king. You know that, right? You know, but Samuel says, now I did that with Saul. I told him he was gonna be the king. That didn't work out so good. I'm gonna let David figure it out. If God's with him, God will lead him. I don't need to tell him. And so he doesn't tell him those things. The second thing he does is he dumps the oil on David's head and then he goes, see ya, and he just leaves. He's done, right? So what happens? David goes right back into the field and he keeps on doing the job that he had the day before Samuel came. But it says that David, from that day forward, verse 13, it says that the Spirit of God came upon him, meaning that God began a process in David's life right now that will prepare him, and it's going to take about 13 years, that will prepare him for the role adequately that he will one day thrive in. And that's an amazing thing to realize, is that God's going to prepare David. And so here's the answer to the second question. The why question is why does it hurt so bad? Why is there so much pain? Why is there so much trouble in the whole thing? Okay? Here's why. Okay? Because David has relationship, he has rough talent, he has the anointing of God, but he is not ready. And there's a whole lot of preparation that has to begin in David's life. I also want you to notice in verse 13 what it says there. It says that he was anointed in the midst of his brethren. That means that it happened first at home. The first place that the anointing of God was to be manifested in his life was in the walls of his own house. See, before you can be powerfully used of God or moved of God out in the world, first it has to work at home, right? I heard one preacher say one time, he said, "Listen, if your faith doesn't work at home, please don't export it." He was talking to people that felt called to missions but had no life in Christ within the walls of their house. But it's important, and here's why, because the people in your house, they know you the most. They respect you the least, and they hurt you the most. And there's no greater cultivating grounds for the fruit of God's Holy Spirit in your life than in those conditions. People that disrespect you, that step on you, that are constantly throwing your past up in your face. Jesus said a prophet is not without honor in his own house, or except in his own house. Meaning you're not going to get any honor from your family members for your life in Christ. But that's amazing training ground. And it's the first place that the Spirit of God is to be manifested. And God gave David the opportunity to live it out at home before he would ever do anything in front of other people. And it's so important that we bring Christ in our home, that he's he's with us where we are in our house, okay? Now watch David, okay, I love this. Watch in verse 14. It says, But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servants said unto him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God troubles you. Let our Lord, that's lowercase l, King Saul, Saul, Lord Saul, he wanted to be called that. Now command your servants which are before you to seek out a man who is a cunning player on a harp and, let it, and it shall come to pass that when the evil spirit from God is upon thee that he shall play with his hand and you shall be well. And Saul said unto his servants, provide me now a man that can play well and bring him to me. Now watch this, verse 18, because while David is at home keeping the sheep and wondering why is this taking so long, God? And where are you, God? And where's the promise? And why did Samuel come? And what is all this supposed to mean? And was he having a a, a dream or some crazy thing? Watch what's happening while David doesn't know it. It says, then answered one of the servants and said, behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite that is cunning and playing and a mighty and valiant man and a man of war and prudent in manners. That's just King James for he's got some street smarts and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. That's an amazing resume to have someone in the palace know who you are to that level and to bring your name up when it's being discussed that there's a need in a great and mighty and necessary position. Amazing. I want you to think about this for a minute. Just look at the list of things that, that it says of David there. I mean, the very first thing, they need a musician, Right? And so he says, yeah, he's excellent. He's cunning in playing. He's an amazing musician. And then secondly, a mighty and a valiant man. I I wonder if that mighty is strong. Valiant means courageous. I wonder if someone heard about the lion and the bear that David will later say that he slew who tried to steal the sheep. Hey man, there's a courage in this kid. Everybody else would have let that lion just have the lamb, but not David. He was fearless. He went and fought the thing. He's a man of war. He knows how to fight. Listen, when you have seven brothers, and he's prudent in matters, when you have seven brothers, and he's a comely person, he's just—he's—he's—he's he's, he's a decent, pleasant person to be around, and the biggest one of all is that the Lord is with him. Here's what I want you to understand, okay? Before David will ever suffer one moment under the hand of Saul, which is coming and will be necessary, the preparation that would bring David into the palace started when he was even a youth. So you think, okay, well, what does playing the harp have in common with wielding the spear? What does being a musician have in common with having street smarts and being prudent in matters? Here's what it is. Is that it would be what God would use to bring David into the palace to be in the place before Saul. And here's my point is that every single thing that God is bringing you through in your life, no matter how unnecessary or nonsensical it might seem right now, is intended by him to serve a place in bringing you to where you are ultimately headed. With God, nothing is wasted. He doesn't waste the fragments of the bread and the loaves, and he doesn't waste the fragments of the things within our lives. And so the things that we think are completely unnecessary and useless in the hand of God, why am I going through this? Why is it taking so long? That could be the very thing that lands you in the place that will lead to where you are ultimately headed. Nothing is wasted in the hand of God. And that's so important that we understand it. Wherefore, Saul sent messengers to Jesse and he said, send me David, your son, which is with the sheep. And so Jesse took an ass laden with bread and a bottle of wine and a kid, and he sent them by David, unto, uh, his son, unto Saul. And David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David, I pray thee, stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. And it came to pass, when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, that David took a harp, And he played with his hand, so Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. Do you see the importance of being excellent at everything that God has you in? I mean, there was something there where once he came in, he passed the season of trial, and he was offered the full-time position to be there and to stand before God in the palace. Understand this, is that the things in your life that you feel like you're a servant to now, those will be the very things that serve you later. Right now you feel like a slave to a pile of laundry or to a nasty boss or to incompetent people. Or to whatever else it might be. You might feel like a slave to it. But I'm telling you that there will come a day when those things that right now you feel like a servant to, those things will become your servants. And I'm officially middle aged now and I've lived long enough to experience it myself. I have gone kicking and screaming through things that God has asked of me and led me through only to come around and say thank you God for those painful experiences that I hated in the moment. They were so necessary and I'm so thankful for it. Saul self-destructed because he had no relationship with God and because he had no preparation. It is an error that will not find root in David's story. David will be rooted in a relationship with God and David will be adequately prepared for the moment when it's coming. Here's the message tonight as as we draw very close to a close here. Listen, stop wrestling against God and start wrestling with God. Okay? Does that that mean time's up? (laughs) 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 Yes, time is up, but I'm almost done. (laughs) There are people, even here tonight, that are wrestling. You're wrestling against God. You're saying, how long, God? How long is this going to happen? Why is this so hard? When are things going to start to happen in my life? When am I going to start to have money? When are people going to start to respect me? When is calling going to come to pass? When am I going to be happy? When am I going to experience the joy of the Lord that you say is my strength? And Lord, this pain, this difficulty, this resistance in my life, I, I know why this is. This is because I, because I failed you and Lord, you're rejecting me and I'm forsaken and I've missed out and you don't like who I am. And so you're denying, you're, you're withholding. Listen, you're wrestling against God And that's why you're angry, you're frustrated, you're anxious, you feel alone. You think that God is against you. And here's what's going to happen if you keep wrestling against God, is that you're going to end up like Saul. Because eventually, you are going to believe that God is against you, and so you're going to take things into your own hands, and you're going to try to lead your own path, and you're going to come to a place where you self-destruct, just like Saul did. Here's the word. God is not against you. God is for you. God loves you. God is good. Jacob wrestled against God. I want to read you Genesis chapter 32, verse 24 and 25. Just two verses. Listen to this. Listen to the language. It says that Jacob was left alone, and it says there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. Okay, watch this. God was wrestling with Jacob. Jacob was wrestling against God and God touched the hollow of his thigh as he wrestled with him. And then they have this little interaction back and forth. And the Lord says to Jacob, the Lord being the one who's wrestling with Jacob, says, let me go, the day is on. And Jacob says this, listen, he says, I'm not gonna let you go until you bless me. I'm not letting go until you bless me. And ultimately, the story goes that the match concludes. Jacob's got a shrunken thigh. He'll have to depend upon God in relationship and leaning for the rest of his life. And God changes his name, his identity, and he lays the blessing upon him. Here's what you need to understand is that God is not wrestling against you. God is wrestling with you, meaning this, that you are on the same team. You do not have to wrestle a blessing out of the hand of God. God is trying to wrestle a blessing into your character through the things that he's allowing you to experience and go through. Do you understand that? He's not against you, he's for you and the wrestlings, the strivings are because it's necessary to bring you into the kind of relationship that you need and to equip you with the right kind of preparation you need for what's coming in the future that only he knows. And he is seeking to put that into your life through the wrestlings. And so here's what you need to understand is that everything that you are going through right now is an opportunity for you to deepen your relationship with him and every circumstance in your life is preparation for something you're gonna need in the future that you don't know what it is yet. And stop wrestling against him thinking that he's against you. He's not against you. He's for you. And the things that he's allowing in your life are readying you for what is to come later on. Just like God will do with David. There is, there is a way that you can peer through the looking glass and catch a glimpse of what God is doing at any moment in the process of what he's doing. Do you know what it is? It's thanksgiving. Is that when you choose to just give thanks to him for maybe the things that you hate or the things that you don't understand or the things that you think are God's anger towards you, just give thanks for it. And there's little insight in the thanksgiving that God helps you see what's coming, what he's doing, why he's doing it. From here, we get to see the rest of David's preparation. And my prayer is that as we go through it, that God would deepen our relationship with him and that he would help us to see by overlaying David's experience with our own, the things that he's allowing in our lives through the things that he brought David through. Relationship and preparation. You cannot have role without relationship and you cannot have elevation without adequate preparation. God is on your side. He's doing the things that he's doing to bring you in the right way to the place where he's leading. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to uh, hear you personally, that you would help us to apply the things that we have heard and learned, and that you would be with us, Lord, in all, all that you're doing. Help us, Lord, to understand, to walk with you by faith, to relate to you and trust. To be connected to you in constancy and not casually and to embrace what you allow in faith and in joy knowing that your will for us is good so thank you lord for speaking may none of us suffer the fate of saul for we ask it in jesus name amen let's stand together thanks for joining us for the pastor nick santo podcast